This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Doc Rivers. Love this team like few he has ever been around. He hugs Rajon Rondo. He comes out. Paul Pierce is done. Ray Allen comes off the floor to an embrace from Doc Rivers. Most likely for the final time as a Celtic. Deion Dooling comes out, an embrace for Kevin Garnett. And Kevin Garnett walks off the floor in a Celtics uniform. He ducks the embrace of Armand Hill and has a huge one with Doc Rivers. He arrived here from Minnesota, already going to the Hall of Fame. But changed the culture and catapulted himself into the elite who have ever played this game. Sean Grandy with the final moments of the Celtics season. Now we talk about what happens next. Back here at the Big Show, Glenn Ordway, Michael Holly, and the president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics, Danny Ainge. Good to see you, Danny. Thanks for coming in. Glenn, Mike, good to see you guys. Um, do you have any withdrawal, especially when you see what's going on in this series? Do you sit there and say, <laughs> man, we could have we could have done something here? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was I was uh, communicating with Rondo last night, and he said that. Were you on a scavenger said, hunt, too, last uh, night? No, no, I was actually just uh, texting him about an, uh, something, and he was saying, oh, we could have beat these guys. So, Which yeah. guys, Miami or Oklahoma City? I don't know. Probably both of them is what <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm assuming. <laughs> so if you look at it, I mean, I, I don't know how long it takes you to get over losses. You probably – aren't over losses that, that occurred in the 80s, you know, in, in the finals. But if you look at this, I'm sure you're not over it, but if you look at the series, the seven-game series with, with Miami, what was it? What do you think the, the turning point was, and why aren't you guys playing in the finals right now? Well, so I think that, um, yeah, you don't get over it um, for a long, long time. But um, at the same time, I'm very excited about our team and proud of our team for what they accomplished. I thought Doc did a great job coaching this year, and, and keeping these guys together, and I thought the team overachieved. I thought that ultimately um, Miami got Bosch back, and they started playing really well. And, uh, you know, game six was, uh, you know, I think our guys were ready to play. I think that LeBron had something to do with that game and uh, had had all the momentum, was making crazy shots and, and shot an unbelievable percentage for his 40 points in the first three quarters. And then game seven, uh, you know, was close, but um, – you know, again, you know, they, they turned it up to another level. And I don't I don't necessarily think it was anything we didn't do as much as um, LeBron was really good. You said you overachieved. What was a reasonable expectation for the Celtics this year? Well, I thought that I thought that where we got um, with a chance was um, expected when the season started or when we were when we looked at our roster, when we thought that we would have Avery Bradley, Jeff Green, um, Chris Wilcox, Brandon Bass coming off our bench. I thought that was a, a very good team and, and with high expectations. But, um, you know, not only did the three guys that we didn't have in, during the playoffs, but, you know, Paul and, and Ray weren't 
throughout the playoffs. And those guys gutted it out and, and uh, were very gritty and, and had some, some spectacular games and some flashbacks. And, uh, but in, in the end, they just, we just didn't have enough. So you don't get the opportunity to just sit there and uh, moan over it for the next three months. You've got to put together a basketball team for next year. There are a lot of questions that are outstanding out there that people are trying to figure out where you go. Has any of this come into focus a little bit more since the last basketball game? Well, I think that because we've you know dedicated 100% of the time with the draft and free agency, it, there's I would say that uh, you know it's not A through Z, it's probably A through J right now. So it's becoming a little bit more clear, but there's still some some real key decisions that have to be made. Um, although they probably won't be made by draft or by July 1st, um, there's some there's some big decisions. A through J, that would include G. That would be Garnett, as in Kevin. <laughs> uh, do you have any idea what he wants to do? It's interesting. Flip that, Saunders. That would, that would be option A. <laughs> oh, that would be option A. Very good. I was trying to go by last name. Flip Saunders comes out now. Seems to be really positive that there's no question he's coming back he's going to play for another year for the celtics has he told you that not flip no no what has he told you so far what are the conversations been um so kevin and i had a good conversation last week and the conversation um was mostly of how he needs time before he makes that decision how much time do you think he needs i don't know i i think that we'll talk um within the next week but I'm not cert- sure that that's you know a decision day for him. I mean, he may he may want to wait and see what sort of team we have. And um, but I'm not sure. I mean, I know that he wants to come back. I know that he likes Boston, and I know he loves playing for Doc and loves everything about the team and the city and and so forth. So um, I think that I think that his decision is going to be do you know do I really want to play or or do I want to not play? Well, you said you just said that. He wants to know what the team is going to look like or who's going no, to be. No, I, I think that that could be what he wants. I'm okay. not saying that that's that he's already said that. But how I mean, can obviously you... that team, you know, what our plans are and what, you know, sort of what direction we're trying to to head are going to be important to Kevin. But I think he knows that already. I mean, but how I think can he knows you... we want to be a good team. I was going to say, though, how can you do that until you know exactly what he wants to do, what it's going to cost to keep him around and what you've got to play with? To get other players, right? So it's uh, it is complicated, and the timing is complicated, and you know, juggling all these different scenarios are very difficult. But the reality is, is that on uh, July first, Kevin Garnett is on our books for twenty one million dollars until um, you know we either sign him to a new contract or renounce him, which means we can't resign him. So um, we either have to sign him, otherwise we're, we we you know really limits our cap space. Can what, you sign him for? Can you can sign him for less than the twenty one? Sure, correct. Yeah. yeah, theoretically, you could if he's willing to. Yeah, what's the likelihood of the big four returning here together? I I don't know the answer to that, Mike. I think that uh, it's possible that that happens. Every, Ray could come back. Yeah, and yeah, that's, all yeah. that's possible. Yeah, Brandon, Jeff, yeah, the whole the whole group could come back. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm looking at the. Uh, just a list of, of salaries. Jeff would have made a big difference this year. I mean, the way Avery was playing, and, and if had we had Jeff, that would have been a huge difference because he could have eaten, you know, the, the depth. I mean, there's 30, 35 minutes right there. Well, do you, well, do you want that? 
because we always go back to your quote of, uh, hey, red, the 88 Celtics, and I still don't like that trade. I know both of you guys do, that trade Which that trade? was on the table. One with the Mavericks and Sam Perkins. And yeah, but, but the, differ- the difference is those guys were done. <laughs> I know, but they weren't. But they weren't. Larry, look, Larry still had four in, okay, the timeline. He had four years left on his career. And Kevin had how many years? But, but like five only, years But left? he only played like two of the years. One of the years he sat out the entire season, so what that doesn't count. What did the count. Boston Celtics get out of Sam Perkins and Detlef Shrimp? What does that do for them? Come on, Detlef Shrimp. Uh, Detlef was, was a hell of a player. He was like that. a twenty-two-year-old okay. player that turned yeah. into an all-star. Yeah. Right. I know he okay. was a hell of a nice. player. Nice. Where is he taking? I don't know. How do I, you know? Man, I just I, I looked at I saw Sam Perkins back. and Detlef Shrimp were starters on NBA Finals team because of them. Well, they were well, number two and number three, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe two and four on that team. Well, I'm just not fired up about it, but okay, we we can agree to disagree. Do you want to? I mean, do you want to bring these guys back? By the way, by the way, there's nothing like that on the table. I, I know, I know. But do you? <laughs> that, that's much harder of, to do nowadays because of the, their age. I always thought you you were going to say you said I'm not going to let this team get old. Well, they are an older team. And they're a lovable team. People really, we tweet and text and phone calls. People really, for the most part, enjoy the team. Are you opposed to bringing back a veteran team, or do you feel like we have to get younger? Listen, Mike, we, we just, we want to get younger, okay? We want to add younger pieces. But these guys not healthy, okay? And, and Ray and Paul were... We're more healthy than our young guys. So you could say, well, you should have counted on, on your team not being healthy. Well, had we had our 24- and 21-year-old healthy, we could have been playing in the NBA Finals right now. So the, the reality of it is this team is not old. You know, old means that you're not, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm not talking, we don't want to bring Kuzi and Russell back. Our guys are still performing. These guys are playing well. Wow. I'm taking a shot. What, what, and what's cool is going to respond by the end of the day. <laughs> Somebody call to say Kuzi. That. I want to see what his reaction is. To well, this but one. so so I think that that's I think that that is a, a pretty good indication. But at the same time, Tommy, having said that, um, you know, we don't want to get to the point where you know, and I don't think our players do. I mean, you know, KG has said over and over again, you know, he doesn't want to go out uh, not being a significant player. He doesn't want to be you know, eaten alive by the young, new young players. I mean, um, you know, and you could see his will. And, but, but at the same time, I don't think people realize how hard it is for him to get ready to play. I mean, it's really draining for guys that age to just prepare to play two or three hours worth of treatments and stretching. And, I mean, the days are different than when you're 25 and 30 and you just sort of, you know, wake up from your nap and, you know, show up to the just gym because and play. Of, just because of the body. I mean, yeah, you know, just the wear and tear. You're, you're 36 yeah. and it's just the way it is. You can be in great shape, but it's easier to, it's easier to get ready when you're 26 than it is when you're 36. Right. It's that. just you, what you eat, how you live. I mean, it is, it is a, a season-long thing, and it, it's much more exhausting at that age. Does he still have three options out there on the table? Come back with the Boston Celtics. Go to another team or retire? Because we keep on hearing now it seems to be more either Boston or that's it. Is there still a possibility? Can we go play for another team, Danny? I'm not, I'm not sure. Of course he can. And um, I don't think that's what he wants to do. I think that uh, – but I do. Th- it is a possibility, sure. But you did you get the feeling in talking to him that I he's did, down, I to, didn't, I down didn't to two the, options? I didn't get that feeling. But, but um, you know, there's – 
he definitely has that option. And, you know, who knows what happens over the course of time. And I hope that he wants to come back. That's sort of been the indication that if he's going to play, that he would like to come back to Boston. And that's that's where we are right now. All right. There's been a lot of confusion about what you can do and what you can't do here in the offseason. All right. Back here in the big show, Ordway and Holly, Danny Ainge sitting in with us here as uh, we kind of wrap up the season and look ahead. To what happens in the offseason. So we, could, could Danny be considered the third man in today? Yeah, he's the third man so in today. So you want to talk about the Red Sox? You want to talk about Patriots next month, training camp? You want to weigh in on this stuff? No, we're going to limit him to – Dustin uh, Pedroia, anything? Yeah, what's up with Dustin? I haven't heard. What's you can't say that. I haven't <laughs> You're heard. the third man no, in. you got to no, have an no, opinion you gotta on know. you got to have an opinion. That, I, I, doesn't listen, have to be I the right Dustin opinion. I Dustin Pedroia. No, no. I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge Dustin Pedroia fan. I think he, he's one of my – Favorite athletes in the city of Boston. He's a, a a warrior. I love that guy. He's okay. Apparently, that's a, the word we got from Bobby V earlier in the show. He's okay and precautionary reasons. But he says Pedroia says he could even play tonight. When's Ellsbury if, if coming he wanted back? To. Is he? Is he? Can close? we talk, can we get back to Kevin Garnett here and talk <laughs> a little bit about your in. team? Come on, that's smart. Well, well, I, I just like what, what's up with Ellsbury? Uh, uh, he's back in a few. He's, weeks. he's close he's to baseball in, activity. Yeah, He'll sorry. be back in a couple of weeks. I we can, have assignment. Then back. Will he go to Pawtucket first? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. He probably God, will. This is, this is a tactic right now. <laughs> All right, you got an off season. You got an off season here, and people. What's up with Tom Brady? People talk once you once you get to the revolution, then we're really in trouble. Um, people talk all the time about what you can do and what you can't do. I read it all the time. A lot of the stuff seems to be how do I say it? Not necessarily accurate. We were just talking about it during the break and the salary cap. And your point in the cap was it's not as confusing as people think, though it seems to be on, on the surface. So I look at your situation and I look at next year, and you literally have right now. Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, Jawan Johnson under contract, a qualifying offer, I guess, to to, uh, Steamsma. So you literally have five players and tied up about $31 million. Is that fair to say, Ballpark? Right. May not want to give the exact figures. What can you do? How do you do it? How do you operate? Well, first of all, so we still have – um, you know, on the salary cap, we still have all of our free agents, Brandon and Beatrice and KG and um, Ray Allen. I mean, we have the the whole group of them are still on our on our books. And then we have the rights to the bird rights to Nanny Kristich and Jeff Green. And and so um, if we're going to use all of that cap space, we would have to renounce all of those players in order to use that cap space. So that's why the timing and uh, signing how you sign guys is so complicated. How far up the ladder could you go if you renounced all of those players? Could you go over the cap? And let's say the cap number is at 58 next year. It was 58 this year, right? Right. right. Because I'm looking at the numbers, and you add all of that up, and you're right. way over. Right. So we're, we're over the cap with those players still, with their cap holds. Um, we're still over the cap. So in order to renounce all of those players, we would have $27 million to spend based on your proximate numbers. But that's just that's – in th- that's not something that the, – the, okay, I asked you earlier the likelihood of the big four returning together. And that doesn't sound right because right. you still have to have cap holds. What I was going to say is we don't have that much money under any circumstance because you still have – you know, holds. You have to put a contract, a minimum contract in that cap hold. Um, so even though you have five players under contract, you still need to have 13 players under contract. Right. Yeah, so you that, have eight right. what's called cap holds at minimum. 
And that's what I was going to ask. In you. addition to those numbers. I asked you earlier about the likelihood of the big four returning. It could happen, you said. What's the likelihood of renouncing all of those players? It's, unli- get, it's unlikely. Unlikely, right. But it's yeah. just something that you're, you're able to do. Right. And in the case of well, it's uh, unlikely because they're good players, right? It's unlikely because all those guys are are starters or you know big time contributors on on a good team. So with 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 Brent, and the free agent market really isn't isn't uh, that great. When Brandon Bass opted out of his contract, you still could be over the cap and bring back Brandon Bass, right? Without any kind of penalties, right? Unless right. yeah. Without any, yeah, without any penalties. And was it a surprise to you that he opted out, or no. is that just something? No, I thought all year. He was having a great year. I mean, I, I figured he would opt out. Brandon is looking for a long-term contract. He's sort of at that age and stage of his career where I was pretty certain he was going to opt out. When you look at the numbers, though, unless you bring all of these guys back and use the bird exemption, which allows you to go over the top of the cap, when you look at it, and if – my guess is you're not going to bring all of those guys back. How do you get other players on this roster, good players, Danny, if Kevin Garnett comes back and occupies anywhere close to the number he was at last year? You don't. That, that It's that simple. And so, you know, that's why I say, you know, like the players that we have as free agents um, and have the bird rights to are are as good or better than – most of the whole free agent class. So doesn't it make more financial sense to try to bring as many of these guys, including KG, back, certainly for next year, until you can get into the free agency in 2013 where there seems to be a few more interesting names? Yeah, but, you know, every year, um, you know, last year when free agency started, there was, you know, five names this year that were going to be, you know, big-time free agents, and so everyone wanted cap space this year, and, now that, that, that really it's down to zero free agents with players signing extensions and exercising non opt out or you know not opting out of contracts and so every year the year before free agency it looks better and so the good list of free agents for next year will be trimmed by a significant margin because players will sign extensions players will opt in contracts and so that list will be completely narrowed. So if you wait if you're always, you know, looking and waiting for the next year and the next year, you know, you're the, it becomes slim pickings. I mean, there really is only one team that's ever done it through cap space and free agents, and that's Miami. And you remember at the same year, you know, there was five or six teams that were going for all those guys that right. had prepared and, you know, had two or three years of of pain and suffering and losing to create that and there was only one winner. See, but I'm looking at this, and there are two ways for you to go. If you bring all of these guys or a majority of these guys back, and as you said, green, healthy next year, Avery Bradley a year later after he showed that he can play in this league, and Wilcox the same thing, the, the health factor, then that's your roster. If not, and KG's not back, I don't see how you get a player anywhere close to replacing KG. Then. Where do you go from there? Right. So, you know, there are sign and trades and uh, capabilities of, of each one of the free agents. And then also there is cap space that you can trade into. So teams do want to, um, you know, you do have a big advantage of making trades with cap space, a big advantage. So that's another option. For example, now, now what does that mean? So, so I don't have to, numbers don't have to match. Yeah. So if I have $20 million of cap space, I can take, 
a $20 million player into my onto my team without even sending anything back. And uh, sometimes teams want to just sort of start over cap management. Uh, we saw we saw a trade today. I think it was rumored. I don't know if it was finalized, but I mean that's basically Washington has a lot of cap space. They're they're eating up contracts. Although they did send Rashid Wallace's, uh, I mean Rashid uh, Richard Lewis's contract to New Orleans, so that gets closer. But um, you have the ability to take on Okafor and Ariza, and you know fit players like that into your con- into the cap space. On the flip side, if you're dealing with one of your free agents here on your team, let's say a Ray Allen, bring his name up as an example, and another team's interested in him, but they don't have the cap room, then you could do a sign and trade and bring them back, similar to what you did with Glenn Davis. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the way you could kind of take guys that are on your roster that are going elsewhere and use them to get something else in return that fits in your roster. Right, and, you know, they can use us, too, to get a better contract. Uh, on the other side, I want to ask you about the draft and the NBA Finals. I have some opinions on the Finals. I'd love to hear your opinions Thanks on Thanks that too. LeBron's faking out this whole uh, cramping Did thing. I we'll fake? get into that. Uh, Danny Ainge, it's live. It's a great Finals moment. I mean, as you know, a teammate of yours and a friend of yours, Kevin McHale, uh, he played on a broken foot in the NBA Finals, and I think last night's performance, playing with cramps, <laughs> I think it ranks right up there as one of the great Finals moments <laughs> of all time. He called it a Paul Pierce moment. That's what he called it. Uh, we got another hour to go. Danny Ainge in studio with us. Coming up next. Danny Ainge, president of basketball operations of the Celtics, in studio. We told you that uh, Michael and I would take uh, our really good Twitter questions. Here's a good one from Johnny Cordero. Danny, would you consider using the amnesty clause on Paul Pierce? No. Okay. Very quick. There you go. There you go, Johnny. Nice question. Uh, and for playing, we have a break. Uh, the amnesty gonna... clause, by the way, is uh, part of the uh, new collective bargaining agreement that allows a team to buy out a player without affecting their cap, correct? Well, not really buy them out, but you, you end up paying them the entire amount of the contract. But they're just, well, they don't, I mean. they don't yeah. affect the cap. Cap affect the cap. Right. I uh, got one from Jay Bruno, six thirty. Hey James, uh, that's his name. Ask Ainge about rumors of the Celtics wanting to keep only one first round pick, and with deep draft, why not have control of two young players? So uh, I guess let's just separate his question. Do you have any interest in trading one of your draft picks? I listen to all the possibilities, but right now we still have both our picks. And also, let's just add to his question. We separated, and now we're going to add to it. I keep hearing that this is a deep draft, uh, a la 2003, LeBron, Wade, Carmelo, Darko, Chris Bosh. Is it, is, it, uh, is it a deep draft, in your opinion? It, it's not that deep, no. Um, and it, it, it won't have as many transcendent players as that draft had. Um but when I think when people say it's deep, I think that it you know you might be get a player that can um, break into your rotation at thirty or forty in the draft. That's unusual. Um, but this draft, it might be that you get some good players. I think we you know I think we're going to get two good players, um, but not transcendent players. Players that might be starters someday. Players that might uh, you know come off the bench and contribute, but but probably not stars. Now, if you look at it. Uh, not, not. I'm not asking you to pat yourself on the back, but just with the benefit of hindsight, you've got you got Avery Bradley in the 20s or, or or toward the back end of the first round. You wouldn't think you'd be able to get a player 
like that that late? Is that how did that happen? And do you see that happen? Would it would it take somebody in front of you making or, or lots of teams making multiple mis- multiple mistakes for you to get a player like that again where you got Avery Bradley? Well, you know we've been we've been pretty fortunate with the draft. I mean we've had uh, we were uh, I was actually talking to Tony Allen this morning. Uh, in our training room, he's he's there doing rehabbing a, a knee surgery, and uh, we're talking about um, you know how all the guys on the in sort of the, this last year we have like seven guys that were drafted below in the second half of the first round that are starting on playoff teams. Tony being one of them, and um, you know, but like each story is a little bit different on how you got them. Um, you know, Rondo was a unique way in which we were able to acquire him and Avery. At 21, right? Yeah, and Avery, Avery, there was a unique way in which we were able to acquire him. Very fortunate. And uh, yet, you know, those were guys that we identified as, you know, much higher in the draft than where they were drafted. So, um, you know, occasionally that happens. But, I mean, you you have to be very fortunate for somebody that you have projected in the top 10 of the draft to slip to, you know, 21 in the draft. But you got to – but you just said it. Maybe you expect it to happen. I mean, it happened with Rondo. In a different draft, it happened with Tony Allen. In a different draft, it, it happened with Avery Bradley. And Delon- uh, Delonte. Delonte West. Now, Al Jefferson wasn't in the 20s, and at that time you could he still, was fi- he was 15, you could still right. draft a guy out of high school, and you can't do that anymore. But, okay, Al Jefferson, 15. Kendrick Perkins, uh, right. the back end of the first round. So why not expect that, that transcendent player? Because maybe you look at, maybe you have a different – view of players in the rest of the league well you know so i would i would say that one of those guys are transcendent players in in rondo i think those other players are good solid players that contribute you know that are uh, that we we might be able to get in this year's draft as well that's what i'm saying um, but i think that you know avery i think has a chance to be a, a very very good player doing what he's doing at his age right now not only this great defender but uh, he was one of our most efficient offensive players in the last 40 games of the season. So, you know, we're excited about Avery and his, and his future as well. You describe two different type of players when you're talking about drafting a 21 or 22 that might be there. The one that's young that's got the upside and the other one that might help you right now. Is there a difference in the two? One is more seasoned, probably has come close to reaching his ceiling, where there's another guy, and maybe Bradley's the type of guy you were talking about at the draft. Certainly he was ready to play defense at the NBA level when he was drafted. The rest of the offensive game and ball handling he had to pick up. Uh, is there a difference in those two different players that are available at 21 or 22, and what do you look for? Well, either one. Uh, you have to weigh all of that. You have to weigh, uh, you know, you, you do bet on some of the upside, but you can't, you, there's also downside. And uh, so you have to, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you don't just bet on the upside of a player. Um, so we'll be looking, I mean, in this draft, there's there's a variety of players. There's freshmen that, that aren't ready to play in the NBA right now and contribute. Um, and then there's seniors that are a little bit more ready, but they're, they're, they're probably hit their ceiling. They're, they probably are are not going to be anything special, but be, you know, your seventh man on your team. And so you have to weigh the options. But can't you find that type of guy really with a, a veteran minimum out there? Can't uh, The guy that can help you out right now a little bit, isn't that guy available out there? Sure, but those guys are available for, you don't have them under, the, under contract control. Um, you know, with our potential cap issues, um, you know, we need to get players that can contribute on our roster as well, so you can't just you know always take upside when you're when your team is rebuilding a 
a roster. You need guys that can step in and play right now. You, you look at uh, some of the players in the draft. Um, I, I, I'll name some players here and just see what you think of them. Sullinger is a guy uh, from Ohio State who uh, has been questioned. Uh, his his medical his medical Back uh, problem. medical problems seem to be pushing him down a bit. Uh, you know, what do you think of him as a player? And we also had some. I promised a caller a couple of weeks ago was asking about a kid on Norfolk State whose name escapes Kylo me right Quinn. now. Kylo yeah. Quinn. So what what do you think of those guys? Do you think they are solid NBA players? Yeah, I mean, Solinger's been a terrific player everywhere he's been. He's a, a dominant high school player and, and uh, a dominant player in the Big Ten as a freshman and sophomore. Uh, I You know, I don't know anything about the medical stuff. I, I will know that. Matter of fact, uh, we're meeting this week on, on all of our doctor's medical reports that they've accumulated. Um, so I don't know any of that, but based on, let's just assume that he is healthy and, and clean or, you know, his issue is a minor issue that can be rectified. I think that, um, he's, a, he's a terrific, has a terrific future, a very solid big guy that can pass, shoot, think, and rebound. How about the Norfolk kid? Yeah, he's not, he's not as, uh, doesn't have the chance to be as special as, as Solinger, but he's big and he's smart and he's experienced and, um, you know, doesn't have a lot of lift, but I think you know, I think we could see him in the NBA next year. Now, I will get around to praising LeBron. Trust me, he's having uh, an incredible postseason run. I'll get around to praising him in a second, but I just want to ask you this before I praise LeBron: You played in the NBA, you've coached in the NBA, been a general manager. You've seen a lot of great defensive players. Who's the best defensive player you've ever seen in your career? You played against or coached? Hmm, I, I think that. Uh, Rodman, Michael Cooper, um, I think Jordan and Pippen, both. I mean, Pippen was more defensive-minded more often than Michael, but when Michael really wanted to put the clamps down, he was very special defensive player. Uh, those guys come to mind first. You see, when you think about those guys, they they were great defensive players. Here we and, go. This and, is, and this and is the actually, knock I'm right just now. saying, they're this, great defensive players. It's coming. They called fouls on yeah, those there you guys. Go. Here we go. I mean, I'm just saying, if you're a guy, and you, I don't remember them calling fouls on Michael. Maybe not on Michael. <laughs> maybe not on Michael. Okay, but if but Michael was never a guy who was described as being able to do, to guard a one through five, right. like LeBron is. I think it's amazing that LeBron, as physically gifted as he is, and as physical as he is, a guy who guards five position. Five positions, and they don't call fouls on them. I think that's unusual <laughs> well, for, you know, for thought, a good defensive player, don't you? You know, so yes, I think it is unusual. Um, but LeBron is really good at it. I'm telling you right now. He, I've watched a lot of the film. Yeah, there's he gets some some benefit of some calls, but he is very good at not fouling. And he's not a guy that is a uh, you know playing the same kind of defense in the first quarter that he plays in the fourth quarter. And, you know, the game is usually called different in the fourth quarter than it is in the first quarter. And um, I, I think he's really good at it. I mean, he I think Michael was really good at it. There's guys that are that are special. They anticipate better than other people. Uh, when you're the when you're a stronger guy, you don't have to hold and grab as much as your body itself is just, you know, heavier than everyone else. You don't have to do that. Where smaller guys like Michael Cooper, you know, they had to hold and grab and tug. And so they'll get called for some of the ticky tack fouls. Um, but I, I really believe he is better 
at avoiding fouls than most players. Plus, the other thing is the quickness. When you've got the bigger guys that are guarding him, the stronger guys, right. his quickness off of that forces people to reach in. And commit fouls. But with that said, he's having a great postseason. Uh, oh, he gets a lot of breaks. There's give, no, no question. Give credit about where it's due. Did, when you when you were watching the conference finals, okay, so the final four, you got Oklahoma City, San Antonio, the Celtics, and Miami. Did you say to yourself at the time, the best team is in the Eastern Conference, whether it's us or Miami? Because right now, it looks like Miami's going to win it. And I, I thought before the playoffs started, I thought the Western Conference was a little stronger than the East. And it's not playing out that way. What did you see when you were in the conference finals looking at the Final Four? Well, you know, I've been doing this a long time, Michael. And I think every year in 2008 when we won the championship in six games, I mean, it was unanimous. All the experts, all the pundits thought the Lakers were going to win because the Western game is different. And the East, it's it's different. You're playing Miami and Boston. It's a different game than San, Diego, than the San Antonio, Oklahoma City. And so that game looks prettier, and the athletes come out, and it's it's different. It's a, it's a more grinded out game, and I think that that favors Miami. Yeah, it is. There's much difference in the in the texture of the game, or whatever. And that must kill you right now when you look at it and sit there and say, "Man, game six, game six, game six, yeah." Had we, we, game had, we, had a chance. we had a chance. All right, we're going to open up the phone lines, and we'll let you throw a couple of questions with Danny Ainge in our last segment here with Danny. 617-779-0850-888-525-0850. You throw the questions out at Danny Ainge coming up next here on The Big Show. All right, back here on The Big Show, Glenn Ordway, Michael Holly, a third man in in this hour, Danny Ainge, the president of basketball operations for the Celtics, and we're going to let you throw some of the questions out. So let's go to Dave. Dave's in... Uh, Springfield here on, hold on one second, hold on one second, hold on one second. I hit the wrong button. Here's Dave in Springfield along with Danny Ainge. Go ahead, Dave. Guys, how you doing, Danny? How are you? Quick question for you. Um, what do you think about Doc's son? Uh, in, in my opinion, the guys in the draft, I want to ask you about the draft. My three guys that, that I really like are Bradley Beal, who's obviously going to go high, the kid waiters, and then I think Doc's son's got a tremendous upside because of his size, his first step, and the ability to play with the ball in his hands. Where do you think you project him, and how good do you think he could be? And if it's ever going to be a possibility, I know you're not going to say that, but could he play for his old man? Well, yes, he could play for his old man, and um, I think that he's going to be a top-10 pick, and I think he's got a, a very bright future, as do those other guys you mentioned. I think those are those are very good players. We got a lot of text earlier of people saying, can you take 21 and 22 and move up in a position in the top 10 to go get Rivers? That's not likely, correct? It's not likely. No. That's uh, that's too high of a move. Typically, uh, you know, maybe in the middle 16, 17, 15, that's really all you get with the with the second. So you move program. up maybe five spots. Yeah, if that's but it. but that's not even certain. Yeah, I mean uh, that that usually happens on draft day if there's a team that you know uh, all of a sudden uh, they lose out on a player they really liked, and so those are uh, the draft day contingencies that you got to be prepared for. Here's Brian and Waltham on with Danny Ainge. Go ahead, Brian. Hey, Danny, I hope you stay with the Celtics the rest of your career. And uh, my question is regarding free agency. Do you think it's worth making an offer to a player like Hibbert, who is a restricted free agent, who you'll have to wait and see if the other team's going to match on that and have your money locked up for a bit, or are you going to focus just on unrestricted free agents? And will KG take a hometown discount? Well, so I don't know the about KG. We haven't even gotten there yet. Um on the, I can't talk about specific free agents, but philosophically, on restricted free agents, uh, especially now that you you're only sort of tied up for three days on a restricted offer sheet that the team has to make a decision on. So, 
uh, philosophically, I would absolutely, if I thought that he was the player and I thought that I had a chance to sign him, I would I would do that. I would sign a restricted free agent. But on the whole, the current team has a much better opportunity at signing that guy because he can sign him for more money, correct? Yes, they can sign him for a fifth year. The home team can sign a player for a five-year contract and give him a little bit more increase, uh, better increases. But it doesn't really have an effect on some players. Some players, that's huge. Uh, the great players, uh, the top echelon players, it really doesn't matter that much if they're still in their 20s because right. they're going to sign for maximum right. the next contract. Here's Glenn in Connecticut. Hey, Glenn. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Danny loves you as a player. Uh, I hope you stay around for a lot longer You know, with the uh, with the Southern Catholic GM. Yeah, he's the powder as a player Mike, all the time. Mike, Mike <laughs> I don't really have a question. I just have a comment. It, uh, and it's with the NBA uh, and the officiating uh, and how they're not really held accountable. Uh, you people as GMs, players, and coaches, you're always you accountable. You cannot comment. There's always fines being thrown around. Uh, and I just think the NBA officiating is horrible. Uh, and again, I'm a diehard Celtics fan. But still, if you take a look at the way these games are officiated, it's, it's just, you know, that, that, you know, that conspiracy. We've heard it, Glenn. And matter of <laughs> fact, 6 o'clock when Mikey Adams drops in, we'll hear Mikey, a little bit more of it. Yeah, Mikey talked. That's every show okay. for Mikey. All right, well, so, so, Danny, you've heard all of this. People are complaining about the officiating. We got, we've got it nonstop now during the entire playoffs. Right. So, you know, listen, I get frustrated with, with officiating at times, uh, like everybody does. But I do think our officials are the best of all basketball world. I mean, I travel the world and watch basketball games, and the NBA officials are the best. Um, second of all, uh, the idea that they're not held accountable is not true. They are held accountable as, as much as anything. It's, it's in a, they're held accountable in their, uh, by their peers, um, by the NBA office. Uh, by teams and coaches. I mean, they have rating systems where GMs and coaches, and but they're scrutinized. I mean, they watch all their plays. They're re, they're uh, graded on each game and each performance. And uh, the NBA is working extremely hard to get a better product on the court. And there's a process in place. I mean, if you want to complain about a particular official or a string of officials, I mean, you know, ten games and this happened to us and this happened to us. There's a forum for you to do this. Right. Right. So uh, after each game during the playoffs, um, you know, if I have calls from the from the game bef- before, I can submit those calls just to see. And the league will check all those calls, and and uh, most teams submit calls after each game, and and then the league sort of gives us a report on how, what they how, what they reported on those. Do you calls. ever get it? What do you get out of that, though? What do you think you get out of that? Nothing. <laughs> the well, satisfaction to know that oh, oh yeah okay so they missed three yeah. calls and and uh you know i usually think that i i might submit six and the legal say well yeah those three we missed and those three we got right and you know usually i still so don't they, think they got so right. they they do tell you though oh yeah they yeah, do they, tell you we screwed up we messed up we got sure. they, so they just don't do it publicly now, right right now, I'm, I'm sure you heard about this uh the commissioner had a very contentious interview, and at times entertaining interview with Jim Rome, where Jim Rome was asking him, was the fix-in for the lottery? We hear this all the time, too. Of course, New Orleans got it because the league owns them, and they wanted to put New Orleans in position to have Anthony Davis on and on. Your team has been in the lottery. Have you ever questioned or have you ever wanted more transparency, more information when it comes to how the lottery is conceived, how it's put together? No. I, I mean, I just – you realize how, how many people would have to know right. and to be involved in the conspiracy of the lottery? I mean, 
they're, they're, it's it's too complicated, and you know you're putting your whole legacy, and it, it just it doesn't happen. Well, the teams there's, have there's representatives no in that room. Yes. when they do the ping pong balls, and Wick was the one. Wick Rosbeck was the one in uh, when you guys uh, went into the draft and obviously got the number five pick. So if something was wrong. Yeah, there's no conspiracy. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you come out of that thing saying, wait that's, a minute, I, I think there's something fishy here. That's just silly talk. Oh, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, the new flopping that they're talking about with the competition committee in which after games they would send the film, uh, the video, to New York and Stu Jackson or somebody there would review it and decide whether it was a flop off the, the video and they would penalize the player after the fact. You like that idea? Well, you know, I think that uh, I, d- I don't know what the answer is. Uh, so I have a theory on that is that referees, one, one reason why officiating is so difficult, if you're sitting up in the 15th row or 20th row or, you know, you have a better view yeah, you've brought of this the game. up before. I think this is a great idea. And I think that the you see more. Like when you're standing right up against it, some of these huge bodies, there's so much you can't see. Right. But not only that, your your vision as you the further you are away, the more you can see. Have you suggested this to the league yet? Yes, I have talked with the league, but I think I don't. I still don't know an answer for it. And so I think that um, the challenge is is that officials make calls, and there was a couple last night in the game. Officials make calls. I'm looking at Mike. I can see Glenn, and I can see a flop, and they make calls out of their peripheral vision, where they can't possibly see what happened. Other than they see you falling, they can't see the arm pulled, and, and they can't see you hit him first and then fall down, and and so there has to be something done with the flopping. I think that there's just too many times the officials are getting fooled, and if I was an official, I would never call, I would never call unless I saw what exactly what happened. Right. I'd much rather not call something than get fooled by you know somebody tricking me. See, I love your idea of moving them up like ten or fifteen rows. Because I do believe you see far more, and I've been in those broadcasting positions, and you just do see far more. How many times have you been at a game where the whole crowd at one time, you know, reacts to a call that they can see? Right, exactly. And it's blatantly obvious, and the crowd starts, you know, and the official right there in front can't see it. But what do we do if we move them 15 rows up? We'd have to put them in cages. (laughs) I know, that's why. They'd have to be in cages. I'd have them hanging from the rafters in (laughs) chairs like, like those cameras they have. Would kill them. <laughs> they would. I tell you what, though, they yeah. could they could see the game better if yeah, they, they were could. like you know going back and forth on pulleys up and down the court. <laughs> Be better for their peace of mind. You won't have a player screaming in your face that you missed the call. You just make the call and and then have them deal with it on the court. All right, let's see if we can take a couple more quick phone calls before we let Danny go. Here's Vinny and Chemsford. What's up, Vinny? Hey guys, how's it going? Good, Vinny. Vinny what's up? Uh, Danny, wanted to be the millionth person to thank you for uh, putting the big three air together. Uh, very bold trades, and obviously it couldn't have turned out any better. Uh, so everyone in Boston obviously appreciates that. Well, thank you. The, the real credit should go to our ownership, who's willing to pay those guys and to give me the freedom to do that first. Sucking up to the boss. Oh, you got the it's job true. already. I'll cut it out. Yeah, you, you got a contract. What they you love you. About? Stop Come it. Come on. I know, but, uh, but it's the true. Uh, main reason I called is uh, I think I speak for everyone that we'd love to have uh, Brandon Bass come back, but for the right price. Um, what do you? How would you weigh like the likelihood of him coming back? And if he does come back, do you see him starting in the four, or would you have him come off the bench and maybe try to sign a center? Well, I'm not. That's that's a good question, but uh, we don't have the answer to that. I mean, we were very successful with Brandon as the starting uh, four man this year, moving KG to the center and. Uh, his shooting, I thought, really um, helped open up the court for us. But, you know, the size was a factor at times as well. 
and uh, we could use a center. But um, Brandon Brandon is a is a quality player, and he and he compliments um, Rondo in particular with his outside shooting. How do you make a decision on Jeff Green and Chris Wilcox? Um, you you're dealing with with a medical situation with both of them. How do you know that they can come back and be a major factor for you next year? I know that Green has been around uh, all year long, and Wilcox has been around some as well. That doesn't really guarantee you that they're yours. They could go to another team, correct? Right. Well, you know, so I, I spent a lot of time with Jeff uh, when we first found out that he had the aortic root enlargement. And, and um, so I went to some of the best doctors in the country with Jeff and, and his agent and, and our medical staff and uh, Dr. McKeon. And we, and I learned a lot about the, the procedure that they were having done. And it's, uh, it's all of their uh, expert opinions and it's, and Jeff is, is recovering nicely from his surgery, but uh, they don't think that there will be any issues whatsoever going forward, that this is a, um, it's just a sort of a defect that they're able to fix with the material that they make it solid and and there should be no problems. And there's been there's been a couple of other situations. I mean, Roni Turioff, Roni Turioff yeah. had it, and uh, and Etan Thomas had it, and you know they didn't have any issues with it after that. That's amazing, really, that there are no issues. And you think about it, heart surgery for such a young man. But I guess that's to his advantage. His youth is probably factors into it too. I mean, if he's I think so. I think the yeah. youth, but I think it's the procedure itself. I think, yeah. uh, you know, I, it's not as, uh, for, for a player standpoint, it's certainly not as risky, I don't think, as, you know, a guy coming back from, you know, a knee injuries and uh, shoulder injuries or something that's a little more serious. So they could come right back this season and perform at a very high level. Yeah, there's no reason why they can't. And, uh, you know, Jeff was out playing basketball three months after the procedure. And, um, and you know, really, the big, the the longest healing process of it all is just the chest. You know, they they sort of open up your chest, and that's, and once that's healed, once the bones have healed, um, there really should be no problem playing. And, and, and then then it's a matter of getting your conditioning back. And you know, there probably will be you know a six to ten game adjustment just to sort of get back in the groove because he hasn't played for a year like any player. But I don't think there will be any any long term issues at all. And he's never been a heavy guy. Just from observation, he looks a lot. Thinner. Is that, I mean, has he lost a tremendous amount of weight because of this surgery or is that just? I think a minimal amount of weight. I think yeah. Chris, I think Chris looked a little bit smaller than he had been, but I did not see that with Jeff. No. All right. Uh, in closing, Kevin Garnett, when do you think, because people might have just tuned in, when do you think you'll have an idea as to his situation? I don't know. I, I really don't want to push Kevin. I mean, obviously we have to get some answers, uh, you know, by July 1st. Um, and so I'm just right now, I'm just letting him get back to me and hopefully he'll do that soon. As of July 1st, if you don't have an answer, do you, you obviously are not going to renounce him, but you won't be able to free up the money you need, correct? Right. So it puts you in a kind of a bind. Right. And you know, he doesn't want to do that. He, he's not, he's not looking to do that. And uh, so know, it's Kevin, more like Kevin's a team guy and he's, you know, the last thing he wants to do is put us in a, in a tough position. He wants to help us and Hopefully he wants to come back. I, I think he will, but you know I'm I'm just not certain. If he doesn't come back to the Celtics, do you think he's going to retire? Is it, you think it's a Celtics or bust? I don't know that. You know I don't want to speak for Kevin. I, I think that um, I know he wants to come back to to Boston if he wants to play. That's what he has shared at this stage, but um, not holding him to that. I know he's got a lot of options and. And, um, you know, we'll just wait for that time. All right, I know you're going to have a busy offseason, and hopefully we'll get the opportunity to talk to you a couple times during the, uh, during the summer. But good luck with it all.
Thanks. And, right. and Michael, you look really hot today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danny Ainge playing Bill oh, thank you. I'm so, t- I'm so tired, Danny, show. too. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Ainge here on The Big Show. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.